from TSN, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. All right, good to go. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going pretty good. Real cold, though. Oh, yeah? No, I no, am I under the impression that it snowed in Calgary over the weekend? Yup. Yeah, that was rough, and it's uh, 10 out there today or something like that. It's chilly. I'll, get, I'll say that. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, at least the people in Saskatchewan, they got to watch, you know, a hockey game outside in somewhat chilly weather. Yeah, and, uh, well, you definitely have more experience with that than I do. For sure, man. For sure. So, let's talk about today's episode. Today's episode is Season 3, Episode 4, in chronological order. Episode 58, the Cody Bass edition. Now, just a little backstory about Cody Bass. He was drafted 95th overall by the Ottawa Centers in 2005. And he went on to record two goals, three assists for five points in 75 games for the Senators. Now, this is really funny because when I put up the poll on our page, and there was two guys. There was Cody Bass and there was Max Lejoie. I was under the impression Max Lejoie was going to win it because Max Lejoie is a more well-known Ottawa Senator more recently because of his time last season. And I'm actually kind of surprised that Cody Bass won given that Cody is one of those guys that... I remember him in the organization through EA's NHL games, but not as a player. Now, are you in the same boat as I am regarding Cody Bass, Tim? You know, I think last episode I was surprised to realize that he played more than one game for the Senators. So that should show you how much knowledge I actually have about Cody Bass. I was actually surprised to see that he even played AHL games last season. I know, and we also can't forget that he was a part of the 2011 Calder Cup winning Binghamton Senators as well. Yeah, so it's an interesting career, and he has won awards at the AHL level, but just could never really stick with the NHL level. I know, and you know, I think the most recent player that we can think of is uh, a guy like Nick Paul, but, you know, given how he played last night, that's going to be something we're going to be talking about on next week's episode, not this week's episode. Oh, you had me going in the second half there. I know. 
So let's talk about next week's poll, because next week's episode will be Season 3, Episode 5, in chronological order, Episode 59. Now, we got three players on the board. We've got Eric Goldman, David, Derzinski, and Alex Formanton. I always forget that Derzinski, or I, I feel bad for butchering that name, was even with the Senators, so... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Fermenton wins, but at the same time, if we had a cover athlete, Cody Bass, who knows who's coming up. That's true, but then again, you know, you look at some of the cover athletes we've had. Like, we had Ilya Zuboff was one of them. We had Patrick Seeloff was one of them. So, you know, you never know, right? Exactly. So, Tim, I am very, very excited to be here to record today's episode, not just because today is Season 3, Episode 4, which it is, not just because today's episode is episode 58 in chronological order, which it also is, but also today's episode is our 100th official episode. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking, but Tay, didn't you just mention that today's episode is episode 58? Yes, it is, in chronological order of the main show. It's our 100th official episode if you include the regular show, our interviews, and our off-season episodes. Now, let's talk a little bit about that because, honestly, I don't think I could have imagined back in 2017 when we officially started this podcast that we would be going two years later at 100 episodes overall. Yeah, and on top of that, I just can't believe some of the stuff we've done in that time. For sure, man, for sure. And because it's our official 100th episode... We should talk a little bit about this because this is a huge milestone and I never thought that we would ever really get to this point. And we got to start off by giving some big thanks to some people. Now, of course, there's a lot of people we need to thank. The big thank you, of course, is to all the listeners and to everybody who reached out to us on Twitter over the last couple of years. Believe me, your tweets have been seen, your comments have been seen when you reach out to us saying that you like the episode or you comment on something we said. Or, or you, we left a metronome on. Yeah, or we leave a metronome on. I, you know what's funny? I totally <laughs> forgot about that, too. And then I was just looking through our DMs there today, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. <laughs> have we ever gotten an email? We have not gotten an email yet. Someone could be number one. Somebody, but who's it going to be, Tim? You know, I'm surprised it hasn't been one of us. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised it hasn't been somebody, you know, like, I don't know, uh, like an Adam Melnick or somebody like that, right? Somebody who probably listens to the episode out of, I don't know, Peterborough or Oshawa or one of these places in Ontario, or even Guliff. No, wait a minute. You mean Guelph? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, my bad. But, you know, like I said, we got it... We, we really do appreciate all of the support and all of the comments and everything that you guys have done for us over the last couple of years. On top of that, we got some more people we need to thank. And of course, the big person we need to thank is, of course, Daniel Esch and everybody over at the National Podcast Network for having us on the network. And it's been really great having us on the network. And they've been super cool with us. And given some of the stuff we've actually said, I'm surprised we've never heard from the network. Given that. To be fair, hasn't been a long track record. And I think we've said worse stuff before we were on the network. So that's on them. I haven't told my favorite story since we've joined the network. That's true. That's true. And I haven't even made a comment of it yet, too, since we've joined the network. Mm. So the next person I need to thank, Tim, and this is a weird one given that he's not an Ottawa Senators fan. 
and he doesn't really comment on the episodes. It's a gentleman by the name of Mark Allred. Now, Mark Allred is the host of the Black and Gold podcast. Now, the reason why I'm including Mark is because every Tuesday morning, I wake up to several notifications on my phone, and it's because he has included us in his Tuesday Workday Hockey Podcast listening lineup. And now, there's some really great podcasts on there. There's some ESPN ones. There's a one that just recently found out. There's a Halifax Mooseheads podcast. Yeah, so that's really cool, given that we were talking about Danny Grant, the late head coach of the Mooseheads. That's pretty fitting that they're a part of it, and we're always part of it. And just the support he gives us on Twitter and, you know, all the love he shows us, it's been really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's cool to know that we're worth listening to and to be included in a weekly roundup, so that's that's awesome. For sure, man. Now, there's three more people that we need to send some big, big thank you to. And the next guy I want to thank is our bot Adam from the three ghosts and wait four ghosts podcast. Just all of the support and everything he's done for this podcast has been absolutely fantastic. Yes. The Adam Melnick is wonderful. I love that sort of stuff. I know, man. Cause you know, like the whole Adam Melnick thing probably comes from Guelph, Ontario. You know, that guy. Yeah. Somewhere around there, like St. Catharines, I don't know. Welland, you know, one of those kind of places. But the joke was we weren't going to say the town. I didn't even realize that that was part of the joke, Tim. But you know, <laughs> but you know what though, we do gotta thank Adam because honestly, he's been on our podcast, we've been on his podcast, and I think in the next couple of weeks, him and his wife Kim will be expecting their second child into the world. Oh wow! So amazing, Craig. Congratulations for them. Are we gonna get to a delivery room episode of Three Ghosts No Four Ghosts? <laughs> Well, you know what? Maybe if Adam listens to this episode, maybe that might be a thing. You might, all you might hear is, you might hear Kim in the background just going, Adam, will you turn the fucking phone off already? <laughs> but more so than Adam, there's two gentlemen that we need to thank for giving us advice and helping us along when we were first getting started. And that, of course, is Neil and Dave from Maple Syrup Shots. They were just... They were fantastic. I was always a fan of Maple Syrup Shots, and I got to connect with them on Twitter, and I was got to be on their call-in show, as you were as well, and the fact that they agreed to come back, be on our podcast, and show all the support that they've given us, like, I don't know where we would be without those two guys. Well, I think, uh, I'm not sure you would even suggest to start the podcast in the first place, to be perfectly honest. That's true, because honestly... Like, and I was just a fan of theirs and I was listening to their banter and listening to how they were. And I'm not going to lie, listening to them and listening to other podcasts. Like I really got the itch to start my own podcast and listen, look how we are now, right? We're a hundred episodes in. And honestly, it's once you kind of get over the hurdle of uh, just starting it, it's a ton of fun. Absolutely, man. So again, a big thank you to those people that we've mentioned, but there's some more people we need to talk about. Now, firstly, before we go any further, Given this is our 100th episode, and I did this in our first episode, and I'm doing this in our 100th episode, I'm going to crack a cold one for you, boys. Nicely done. Thank you. You know what I honestly think of? Remember when we were doing our Aussies episodes in Calgary? And, like, one of our episodes, we were talking, and I just got up to grab a beer in the middle of it? Didn't I call you out on air? Yes, you did. You're like, God damn, he's raiding my fridge. And all you hear in the background is, hey, Tim, do you want anything? <laughs> but Tim, let's start talking about some of the people we've worked with. And I feel this is a perfect name 
to start it off with because he's been on the show twice and he's just been a fantastic person to us. Trevor Shackles from the Cosper Podcast. Now, like I said, he's been on the he's been a guest twice. We've had him on for he was our very first interview, which is huge given that we've never done an interview before and we've never conducted an interview before. So the fact that he agreed to do that, but also he was on our first half recap last year. And one of the things I always like about Trevor is that and I really, really hope he takes this as a total compliment. I think Uh-oh. of Trevor as like a Lay's barbecue chip. And I'll explain why. Because you think about it, right? In the land of potato chips, there's other potato chips that are more bold and more out there. And there's more flavorful. But with a Lay's barbecue chip, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. You know exactly what you're getting. And it's always great. And Trevor's exactly like that. Because... You listen to him on Cosper Pointcast or you read his blog and he's no different. He's the exact same guy on both. And the fact that we've got a chance to work with him, I can totally agree. He has been a fantastic person to work with. Yeah. And it's a, and like he's put up with bullshit on our end. Like when uh, Skype, I think for, for that first season, uh, re- that first season recap we did, uh, our Skype just died. No, you know what it was? If I'm trying to remember now, I think it's because... I couldn't get Skype to open. That's what it was. And I was like, what the fuck? And I'm messaging him like, listen, like we're trying so hard to open this stupid thing. And, and he was super patient with us. And when we finally got her going, he gave us exactly what we wanted. And he was fantastic. And I always look back on that because the one thing I always think about either you or myself always says something to him that makes it awkward. Yup. But I guess that's what we do. That's partly what we do, you know, but you know what? Trevor has always agreed to come on to us and or not come on to us. That would just be very inappropriate, but he's always agreed to come on the podcast and he's always been a great guy with us on Twitter. And I think that was one of the big reasons you and I talked about having Trevor on as our very first interview guest, given that you and I had some sort of a relationship with him on social media. Yeah. And it's, well, the other thing is just, as you said, the quality of work is always there. And it's a shame that, uh, he had to move on from Hockey Buzz to pursue studies, and I think it was education, if I remember correctly, because, uh, yeah, his writing, his weekly writing will, de- well, more than weekly writing will definitely be missed, because it is fantastic, and uh, it's always good quality work, and always a fun time to have Trevor on, so good luck in your studies. Absolutely, man, absolutely. So we got to move on and talk about the next person that, again, we've had him on as a guest, and he's actually has been a co-host for the Third Line Plug Sense guest. Our bod Joseph. Now, Joseph is somebody who I really enjoyed having him on the podcast as my co-host. And for me, when I look back at the interview we did, I think that was one of the few interviews that I was never fully happy with it for two reasons. Number one, the audio quality was garbage. There was so much feedback. There was so much things wrong with it. And also because half of the things that we talked about with him on the interview, he already covered the week prior as our co-host. Yeah, and I think that was the hard thing was uh, just because I was in Rochester, you got a double dip, right? Was was it Rochester or Utica you were in? Rochester. Okay, so you weren't in the land of steam hams? Yeah, no, that's an Albany expression. Well, you know, I'm from Utica, and I've never heard that expression. No, don't, (laughs) definitely not in Utica. But no, Joseph was a fantastic person, and I hope he's feeling well, because I just read on Twitter that him and his son are currently fighting some illness, and he was a great guy. I would absolutely love to get him on the podcast once in a while to get him back on, get him to talk hockey. 
the one thing I will comment on, he is very polarizing on Twitter, that I will comment on that. And uh, he's gotten himself into some trouble. But you know what? I still think he was a fantastic guest and a fantastic co-host and would love to get him back on the podcast someday. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll be here this time. So I won't make awkward seat warming jokes. Let's move on to the next person we've got to talk about. And this is probably one of the newer people we've met through the podcast. And they were a guest on the second half recap, Arbod Kelly from the Hockey Last. And I absolutely loved her coming on the podcast because, number one, she was the very first female we've ever had on the show. But also because, outside of Chelsea, but also because, given she's a new fan of the Ottawa Centers, her insight into the team was also pretty fantastic. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because it's not a North American insight either. Because it's coming from someone who grew up around a very different sports culture in the UK. Yeah, and that was always one of the interesting things for me is, like like you said, right? She didn't grow up in North America where hockey or whatever's the big sport. In the UK, it's soccer. So she grew up with a very different sport and she's very new to the game so you did get a very interesting insight into what does a uk fan think of hockey mm-hmm. yeah and like just hearing stories about uh the, i guess it's the english premiership league is what it was called or the english elite hockey league just like what that was it was just fan- fascinating absolutely and we also got to mention that on one of her very first blog posts she ever posted, she gave us a really nice shout-out for our second half recap. So, Tim, let's switch gears here and let's talk about some people related with the Ottawa Senators. And, of course, the big one we got to talk about sends DJ Alex Marchant. Now, we got a chance to interview him earlier this year. And overall, I'm very happy how that interview turned out. He was a fantastic guy to work with. And something that I'm going to comment here over the next couple of weeks is that one thing that I really found talking to Alex and talking to him about what he does for a living, I found I have a brand new appreciation for what he does for the in-game experience. Well, I think it's very easy to depersonalize it because you don't see him and you don't hear a person's voice attached to it like the arena announcer. And you don't really see anything of it when you're looking at like the jump like you would with the person putting memes or videos on the Jumbotron. So it's very easy to just kind of think that, kind of just lose that in the experience. But when you hear someone who's passionate about it talk about it, it really just gets you into the space of creating a game day experience through audio. And I learned a lot. Yeah, and I know the one thing that even you commented on episodes after we interviewed Alex is that was the one thing you mentioned too, is that you were paying closer and closer attention to the music playing during the in-game experience. Mm -hmm. And especially like the choices of when to play which full songs or like when they, what drops they were using and stuff like that. It was, you can really see the art of it if you're there, if you're paying attention to it. Absolutely. And the fact that he was, very willing to talk about what he does for a living, but also he was talking about having DJ Prosper a part of the in-game experience too, was also really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Uh, now, I went and listened to that interview, and now I've gone and forgot it. We did, did we ask about Spit and Chicklets? We did not ask him about Spit and Chicklets, no. Uh, okay. Sticking with the Senators, for myself, being a really big fan of this podcast, this was an absolute treat to have. And that, of course, was Pan from the Suns Call. Now, of course, we got a chance to interview him at the very beginning of this year, 
overall, I think that was one of my all-time favorite interviews we've got, gotten a chance to do. And given that he's a really great guy to talk to on social media, and I was a really big fan of the Suns call-ups, it was really neat to talk with a fellow Suns podcaster, and it also made me look at this podcast in a new light. And I'll tell you why. Because there was something he mentioned during that interview that really made me look at Third Line Plug in a different light, in a different way. And he said, when talking about Suns call-ups, he goes, you know, that they're not insiders, they're not experts, they're fans. So basically what they're saying is just water cooler talk. And for myself, I always prided on being kind of professional in how I approached the game analysis, how I approached writing up top of the hour. And of course, now after learning that, my analysis of hockey and the game itself is just, okay, what am I seeing as a fan? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, I get what you're saying. Because, uh, like, if they want that professional veneer, you can go to ESPN. But at the same time, the one thing that I, like, I know Pat highlighted is anyone can go look at a stat line. It's, my big thing is trying to take the stat line and put some analysis behind it. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to make that approachable. Because, like, that can be very kind of cold. So I think the biggest challenge, and I definitely appreciated kind of even seeing his perspective on that, is just kind of warming up, right? Absolutely. And, you know, even listening to the newest season of Suns Call-Ups and listening to how they analyze the games and what how they talk about it, and given that we're also Suns podcasters, I can kind of see that. Because we've watched the games and we know what we're seeing. And it's like, okay, I wouldn't agree with this perspective, but I do agree with this. And I think that's very interesting that we have that, you know, we can compare notes on what exactly we're seeing as fans. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think it's fun that uh, we can differ about it, argue on Twitter. And just different stories that Pat had were just, a, they were fun. Yeah, they were fantastic. And I love the fact that when we got him to yell Hot Sam Baccio, he went right for it. He yelled Hot Sam Baccio at the top of his lungs. And the next thing I said was, Mommy, the man's yelling through the walls again, which cracked him up. Something serious. <laughs> so good. Uh, so good. But you know what's also really good, Tim? And this is something that really cool we've got a chance to do with the podcast is that in the past, I think, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about it, but I think you and I both had a idea that we would like to be bloggers one day and the next person really helped us in that because we got a chance to work on their 2018 draft article and that of course is nick fleahart from beer league talk now we've got a chance to work with beer league talk like i said on their 2018 draft article and we got a chance to interview him but for me the one thing that i always noted about that interview is that garage band crapped out halfway through that interview for us yeah, and uh, luckily Nick had redundancies. I know, and it really inspired, I think, yourself to record on your end, too, just in case I lose the audio on mine. Yeah, so yeah, so I've got Audacity running on my end, but Tay is mostly capturing the audio. Yeah, so it's really great to know that we've got two separate audio files. In case I lose mine, you could send me it and be like, okay, edit the episode, let's put it up, and we're good to go. And the one that actually I want to comment on that article itself, because when I go back and I look at that article and I'm very, very proud that we got a chance to work on that two things that really stand out. Number one, wow, we were really way off on our picks, but also compared to the other podcasts and other bloggers that worked on it, we look so unprofessional compared to them because then it's like, 
you know, you have all of the, it's neatly laid out and everything. And then it's us. And look like Nick just copied and pasted on there. It's like, yeah, it, it'll be fine. Yeah. But I guess at the same time, it's whatever. I didn't really know what he was expecting. So I just kind of wrote up what I would write a short note to look like. Mm-hmm. But I didn't edit it as heavily as I usually would for something for work. But also, man, we got too cute with that. I know. I mean, why the hell would the Ottawa Senators take Noah Dobson fourth? That's just dumb. At the time, it seemed like they weren't too impressed with Brady Kachuk, so I thought they were just going to trade the pick. And that's dumb. Or they would have gotten Philip Sedina. Yeah, well, I was expecting Montreal to take Philip Sedina, to be honest. That's true, but the Habs pick is turning out to be pretty decent for them, though. In the oh, same yeah, way. Oh, yeah, has been great. Yeah, in the same way, Chuck has been fantastic for us as well. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, we've got two more people we're going to talk about, and these are two people, when we first started this podcast, you and I said to each other, there's no way. There's no way in hell these two guys would ever come on the podcast. And that, of course, is Ian Mendez and Jamie McLennan. And I'll start off with Ian, because... You know what's really funny is that how exactly we got Ian is that I was just flipping on Twitter one day and I saw one of his comments. I clicked on his profile and his work email address was in the bio. And I looked at I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I shot him an email if he would respond. And I remember I messaged you because I was like, I want to get your take on that. And I was like, hey, Tim, like I just saw Ian Mendez's work email addresses on Twitter. Do you think if I shot him an email, he would actually respond? And you're just like, I don't know, shoot him an email and find out. So that's what I did. I shot him an email thinking, okay, he's never going to see this. He's never going to see this. 20 minutes later, I get a response from him. I'm like, holy shit, Ian Mendez responded. Yeah, and that's definitely one thing that I really appreciate about uh, like all the guys who are involved at TSN and I assume Sportsnet and NBC as well is that they're all surprisingly open. Like, I remember uh, one of my friends, he emailed Pierre McGuire years ago to tell him that he disagreed deeply with something he said on air, and then they became pen pals for a bit. And it's just one of the things I really love about uh, like a lot of these sports commentators, and Ian Mendez especially, that not only was he open to it, he was just so damn prompt. He was so damn prompt, but also the fact that he never shot down any of the questions that we asked him, because... In, little backstory and some of the behind the scenes stuff because i interviewed ian and i'm sure okay ian mendez works for tsm there's probably some stuff that we can't talk about with him and there was a few questions one of them was being him being a visible minority and that was a question like i said to you i was very on the fence whether i should include that because again of how polarizing that question could be seen right it could be seen in either way of being you know really insensitive or it's really wow, like this is really kind of groundbreaking that you're getting to talk with Ian Mendez, who's been a very noted minority in the sports media landscape for the past 20-something years. And the fact that he saw that and he said to me, he says, yeah, I'm very open to answering that question. And the fact that he was very open and he talked candidly about it, I thought was really, really great when I look back on that interview. Well, it's I think it's a perspective that not a lot of people will ever get it must be really cool to have people interested in your like a unique perspective that you have lived yeah and that was always the one thing for these interviews that i've always approached is that regardless of who we have on i'm always fascinated about okay what kind of questions are people not asking them and i would listen to other interviews 
with Ian or Jamie or whoever. And I would be like, okay, what if, like, how could we ask a question that hasn't been asked before? And what is something, because I'm sure they probably heard so many questions about, you know, what do you think about, you know, Eric Carlson leaving? He's probably been asked that so many times. And I was like, okay, let's try and go the other way. Where, where can we go with this? And he's very willing to answer. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic because, like, Jamie Glenn was the same way. Yeah, and this is the next guy we want to talk about. And we're going to close out our this segment with Noodles because – and actually, going back to when we interviewed Pan, one thing that he mentioned when we interviewed him, and we asked about how, how, um, how long into the show's run before you got Ian Mendez or Dean Brown or Jamie McLennan – and he said the one thing about Jamie is that Jamie McLennan was a total fluke. And we were saying the same way because honestly, excuse me, is that you and I, after our second season ended and we're talking about, okay, what kind of things do we want to do? What kind of goals do you, are we set for ourselves? And you mentioned on the show, you wanted an ex-NHLer. I took that as go get Jamie McLennan for the show. And I was like, <laughs> and this was what we recorded that on what a Sunday or a Monday and by, like, Thursday, I messaged you, and I was like, oh, hey, by the way, um, I tweeted at Jamie McLennan, and he direct messaged me, and he's interested in being on the show, and you're just like, no fucking way is he seriously interested on the show. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I was surprised, but, uh, the one thing is I remember he had a bit of a tight timeline, but by the time we were done and close to the amount of time he... He had said that he had. He was like, ah, I can do more questions. It was just like, it was just so like, oh, okay. Let's ask fun questions. <laughs> yeah, and that was the thing, right? Because we had a whole thing of questions we were going to ask him. And then we had this time constraint put on us. And I'm like, okay, let's streamline the questions. Let's sort of say it again. Uh, one about the Islanders. One about the Blues. One about his uh, role as a backup goaltender. One question about working with overdrive. Like, you know, you get these kind of questions but the fact is that we also talked some senators with him, given that, you know, he works for TSN. And TSN is very known as the Leafs station, and the, he's covering the Sens games. And for me, it was like, you know, this is really great because you have a guy who, again, he's an ex-player, he's an ex-coach, and he's working in the ma- landscape. And the fact that he was very open to answering these questions, and he told some really great stories about his time in St. Louis with Chris Bronger, Mark McGuire. Seriously, he's one of those guys that, even when I look back on it, I'm thinking, did we really just interview Jamie McLennan for this podcast? Yeah, and it was funny because uh, I think a week after, like the pretty quick after we did that interview, I headed into Ottawa for work, and I was talking to people at the podcast, and I was like, yeah, we just had Jamie McLennan on, and a few people were like, you serious? Yeah, it was, yeah, and, uh, it was absolutely fantastic. I know fantastic. one of my work buddies is a listener of the show now. Oh, is he seriously? Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah, he was just one of those guys that, you know, it was funny. Like, I just sh- shot him a tweet on Twitter thinking, as the same way with Ian, right? It was like, yeah, he's never going to see this. He's never going to see this. Jay, that's the biggest Hail Mary we ever threw. It was like, okay, Ian, we can kind of understand because he's worked with Sense Podcasts before and... You know, he put his work email address. It'll go directly to his phone. Jamie McLennan on Twitter, I'm thinking, okay, he probably gets so many messages throughout the day. He's not going to see this. And the fact that he saw it and he DM'd me. And it's actually funny because when I sent him that tweet, going back to Joseph, because Joseph responded to that thinking, 
oh, I see you guys are going after all the famous people. And he made a comment he'd love to see Ian Mendes back on the show. And actually, Ian responded to that, and he's interested in coming back. So we'll definitely have to try and get him on, uh, back on the podcast. But going back to Jamie, and it was funny, and it was all the couple of you know responses. And then there was another response, and I'm just sort of glanced at it. And it started with Jay. I'm thinking, okay, it's probably just Joseph. I don't really have time to read it. And I kind of glanced at it. I'm reading the message going, what in the fuck is he going on about? And I looked at the name, and it wasn't Joseph. It said Jamie McLennan. I was like, oh, my God, it's Noodles. Yeah, I was like, how does this even work? <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's amazing that, uh, and it's just so awesome how open a lot of the people in the sports media seem to be to fans. And I think that's so good for the sport. I think so too. And even for this podcast, like, you know, I look at our interview wish list that we wrote up, we're already halfway through it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you, but, but you know what, Tim? Even though I look at the interview wish list at the moment, and there's some people that we would still love to get on, you know what? There's still time that we can always get more people on. Like, you know, I would love to have, say, Stuntman Stu. I would love to get him on. Brett Wallace. I'd like to get him on. You know, Brian there's so five many, or six. Brian Five or Six. I would love to get Because, come on, he not only heard the podcast, but he retweeted and liked when he was their cover athlete a couple weeks ago. And he made fun of our awkward language in the Trevor Shackles interview. I know, it's awesome. So, once again, guys, we cannot thank you enough for listening to our show and for the last 100 episodes. Now, we're going to take a really quick break here, and we're going to go on to the rest of the episode, because believe me, we've got top of the hour, and we've got three games to talk about. Now, before we get on to talk about things that we got to talk about, we got some people that got to send us some congratulations. So, without further ado, let's get right to it. What is going on, guys? It is Daniel Esch here of Brotherly Pod and the founder of the National Podcast Network sending our congratulations to the third line plug Sendscast on their 100th episode from all of us here at Brotherly Pod. Congratulations on 100 episodes, and here's to 100 more. Hey, this is Trevor Shackles, co-host of the Cosper Pointcast and former guest on the show. Just wanted to congratulate the third line plug Sendscast on 100 episodes. That's a huge accomplishment. Cheers to the future, guys. Keep it up. Hey guys, this is Joseph. I just want to give my congrats to the boys at Third Line Plug on their 100th episode. Hey, this is Kelly from The Hockey Lass. As a listener, guest, and friend of the show, I'd like to congratulate the guys at the Third Line Plug Sends cast upon reaching their 100th episode. I'm proud of you guys. Well done. Hey guys, it's Neil here from MSS. Just wanted to wish you guys a happy 100th episode. The thing I love about this pod is that it's like the best of two worlds coming together. Kind of like when my favorite team and the team that this pod is based around did a whole bunch of off-season stuff this year. So, I guess in a way you guys are kind of like the Toronto Maple Senna Leafters? Anyway, happy 100th. Hey guys, it's Adam from the Three Ghosts and the Wait Four Ghosts podcast. Uh, just uh, sending a quick message to uh, Tim and Taylor from the third line plug sends cast congratulating them on their 100th episode well, that was weird uh you guys have taught us a lot about uh where to eat in ottawa burgers and fries forever uh you've talked a lot about uh steamed hams a very good option uh, when you go to burgers and fries forever well, that was weird uh also you guys have uh given us a lot of great uh, hours of uh, Ottawa Senators coverage 
And uh, who, of course, could forget uh, the infamous uh, situation of the uh, the Botox. So, uh, again, guys, thank you for uh, uh, 100 episodes, and uh, here's to 100 more. And uh, what? what the hell is this? Whoa. Oh, no. It's happening again. Oh, no. What's going on, guys? Oh god no! It's the remix! Oh no, and it's a club banger too! Oh no. Oh no, Tim's gonna kill me. I'm sorry Tim, I don't know what's going on here, but... Oh no, it's going... Here comes the drop! Oh god no! Oh no! Okay, I think we're out of the woods. Aww. Okay, well, apologies on that, but anyways, congratulations, guys. Okay, guys, we are back here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast. So, first of all, once again, we can't thank everybody enough who sent in their congratulations for our episode. We cannot thank you enough. Now... Let's go into the rest of the episode because we've got a fully loaded episode for today. And I feel the best way we should continue on by doing is by segueing into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, Tim, I'm really kind of happy to know that we're not having to talk about a death for a third straight week. But still, this is a very, very sad story to start off with. Hockey Hall of Famer Dale Howarchuk is taking a leave of absence from his coaching position with the OHL's Barry Colts after being diagnosed with stomach cancer. Howachuk, drafted first overall by the Winnipeg Jets in 1981, will be undergoing chemotherapy treatment, according to TSN. Yeah, here's hoping it goes well. For sure, man, for sure. And you know that it's really crazy when you think about, when I look back on Dale Howarchuk, and I'm, obviously it was before my time, because he was drafted in the early 80s, and I believe he retired in like 1990. Seven, nineteen ninety-eight. So really, I wasn't really old enough to really understand what a hockey player that Dale Harchuk is. But I think when you look back at his career, I think that people tend to forget him a little bit, given that he had, you know, five hundred goals in the NHL. I think he over a thousand points. He won Rookie of the Year. He does all these great things. But I think because of the teams that he played for, most notably Winnipeg, and they were sort of the out of the out of sight, out of mind in hockey. And I think that's why when people look at him, they're like. Oh, yeah, I remember Dale Hartchuk and what a good player he was. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because at the same time you had, like, Wayne Gretzky and stuff in the NHL. Yeah, and Gretzky and the Oilers actually dominated the Jets in that old, I don't remember, I think the Smythe Division or whatever it was in the 80s. Yeah, well, they never got past round two. No, the Jets at that time, you either had to go through... Gretzky, or you had to go through the Flames, or both, to get any yeah. in that old division. Yeah, the old Smythe. Except for the one year they were in the Norris. That is true. So, Tim, even though we're starting top of the hour off with a bit of a sad story, we're going to move on and talk about a more lighthearted story. Late night talk show host Jimmy Fallon had a visit from the New Jersey Devils mascot on Monday night after the Devils mascot made a bet with Fallon on Twitter stating if the Devils beat the Rangers during their game on October 17th, he would come on the show and hit Fallon in the face with a pie. The Devils would go on to win that game 5-2. to two. 
Now, one of the nice things about this is that, number one, it's so great to see Jimmy Fallon get hit in the face with something, but also because he wore a Mika's Abinajad jersey when he got hit by the pie. That's really nice, but at the same time, God, I hate Jimmy Fallon. Oh, I know, I hate Jimmy Fallon, too. That that stupid fake laugh of his, even though like I like the roots, I, I'm sorry, but that's not enough to let me sit down and actually watch Fallon. But the one thing I will give Fallon credit for is that he's an avid sports fan, but also he knows exactly how to market his talk show because he realizes that not everybody has cable anymore and everybody's going to streaming services. So he basically has made the conscious decision to basically create moments on the show for YouTube. Yeah, but at the same time, He's basically bought off, well, NBC has bought off YouTube to manipulate the algorithms to push his shitty fucking comedy to the top. Honestly, fuck Jimmy Fallon. Wow, Tim, I didn't realize you were going to get that that heated about Jimmy Fallon. I really dislike Jimmy Fallon, and it doesn't help that I was stuck in a cab, hung over his shit in Boston for an hour. And it was just the same two Jimmy Fallon cloaks looping on the ad TV. And it was just him being an asshole at a gas station. Thankfully, the driver turned it off for me, and I could die in the back in peace. I know. You gotta love those cabbies in Boston, eh? Well, dude surrounded in bulletproof glass. Let's move on to our next story. The Hockey News' is Ken Campbell recently posted on Twitter that four out of the five Canadian teams who played a home game this past Tuesday night failed to sell out. Campbell observed it isn't good when Canadian teams struggle at the gate, given they are believed to generate around 35% of the league's revenue each season. Now, though, given that we're Ottawa Senators fans, we're not going to comment on the obvious about the Sens and why they're not selling out games, but I find it very fascinating that the other six Canadian teams really aren't selling out with the exception being the Leafs or the Jets. And given your economist by trade, Tim, I feel that this is a really great story uh, to let you take the reins on this one, because I know you probably have some opinions given that you live in Calgary and with everything going on, the federal election just happened last week. I uh, talked a little bit about what is really going on, say in Edmonton or Calgary and why these teams aren't selling out. The hard thing with Edmonton, Calgary, and even to some extent Vancouver, at the end of the day, consumption is a choice that you make given against everything else you have, right? Mm -hmm. And within what you consume, you can trade off within that depending on how much things cost. And one of the things, especially in Alberta, is that due to uh, a long recession, wages haven't been growing. So Alberta wages are definitely higher than the rest of the country. But if they're not growing and the price of everything else is going up because of generalized national inflation, well, you're probably going to consume less hockey games. And if your sellout is contingent on any degree to some to walk-up tickets, you're going to be exposed to that. Now, the teams themselves, like they, they sure it's like one missing sellout, so it's not the worst. And I'm just going to pull up hockey reference to look at the last Calgary game, so it's not going to be. Uh, Ottawa tier? Yeah, because yeah, Ottawa like, is, very, is on a different landscape, though, because, and we've talked about this on the show, that, you know, you look at it from an economy standpoint, because the majority of people in Ottawa work for the federal government, and, and we've talked about this over the years of the show, over the last hundred episodes, about people working for the federal government, they're not being paid, 
the arena being a Canada, the team not being very good, the fans hating Eugene Melnick. But I find it very fascinating in these other cities like Edmonton and Calgary. And you can honestly make, as you were saying, you could look at, say, from an economic, from a, an economy standpoint where, you know, you had the huge recession. And yes, that everything is sort of hiring, but, you know, I just find it a little bit fascinating. And honestly, Vancouver, over the last couple of seasons, I think more because the team has not been very good. And, you know, everybody wants a winner, right? You Nobody wants to go see a game where you know your team is going to end up losing. Well, I think another thing that doesn't help with Vancouver is your walk-ups are probably getting killed by rent. Like, the people who have season tickets, they already own their home. Escalating rents in Vancouver is probably not going to affect them. But uh, if you're going to the odd hockey game on, like, a 10-pack or something like that, and uh, you're looking at rent going up 5% a year for your hockey tickets or you're moving out of Vancouver because it's harder to afford rent or condos in the city. Mm-hmm. That's going to affect how many hockey games you can consume as well. And the other thing is maybe with the advent of uh, streaming, maybe it's more fun to go watch the game at a bar. Like maybe that's a closer substitute too. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that uh, from the article oh, I was reading. And I guess because I did talk about housing, I do have to say that these views are my own and not the views of the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. You heard it here first, folks. But no, going back to, like, even the article that I read about this that we're talking about is that that was something that was also brought up was that the advancements in streaming and ways that you can consume it at home. And and I'll be honest, like, I don't live in Vancouver. I live on Vancouver Island. And, you know, you're talking about the cost of traveling to Vancouver. You need to find a hotel. You need to buy the ticket if you plan on going for a couple of drinks there's whatever money right there so really people really can only go to say one game a year and one of the things that i always found fascinating is that that these teams are really working harder and harder every year to make the in-game experience more exciting for fans that actually come to the games and the last canucks game that i actually went to like they had a live band playing and they were very enthusiastic and the crowd is really into it and that's really cool because I'm sure that the Canucks and these other teams realize like, hey, listen, we know that our ticket prices are whatever. Streaming services are being, you know, big time now. So fans are more likely to be like, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to spend a hundred bucks and go watch a Canucks game on, say, a Monday night? Or do I just want to sit at home, have a couple of beers and watch on my couch? Yeah, and I think I think that's a thing as well. And, like, mix that between, like, Waitrose and Canada's been anemic, the price of housing's gone up, and streaming's at a much better option. And I think one of the things is, with a lot more housing, like, for Vancouver, it's really interesting where a lot of the new housing is going up in, say, Burnaby, or even further out. The population growth in the area isn't necessarily going to support people going into, say, a, Monday, a Sunday night or a Monday night Canucks game if they're dependent on, say, the Pacific Coast Express or driving an hour to get to the arena. Yeah, and you can also look at people that, say, live in, excuse me, Richmond, or they live in Surrey, or they live in these places around Vancouver. Now, you, if you work in Vancouver, you have to drive home, you have to get the kids ready, and then that's, you know, whatever time you get off work, you drive home, you get the kids ready, it's like 6, 6.30, you have to drive into Vancouver, find a parking spot, and everything that goes into it, and at times it's just like, you know what, it would be just easier for me to sit at home, feed my kids dinner, and watch the game on TV. Yeah, and like if you're out in, say, 
Edition or Chilliwack, forget about it. Yeah, and I know even for myself, living on Vancouver Island, like, kind of like the same thing with those people living in, like, as you're saying, Chilliwack and these other places. Like, I'm traveling a couple of hours by ferry. You're traveling half an hour or whatever it is from the ferry terminal into downtown Vancouver. And it's everything that goes along with that, right? And I'll be honest, like, I looked into the Sens Canucks game for this year. And I was thinking, you know, I didn't go to the game the last couple of years because I've been, you know, like I said, I've been pretty pissed off with the team given that, you know, like you want to talk about a fan base that just feels so unappreciated being center fans. But, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? I haven't gone to a game. I always go to a game once game a year. I'll look into it. But you know what? Financially, it doesn't make any sense for me because this is the first year I have I'm absolutely not working during Christmas. I have three solid weeks off. I'm thinking, okay, so that's three weeks that really I don't have much income coming in there. And I'm already saving money to go to Mexico. And I have all these other things that I'm prioritizing right now. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know financially that it makes sense for me to go to a Canucks game in December when Christmas is right around the corner. Exactly. And I know it's different for me because – I can just take the train right to the stadium, and so it's 10 minutes. So, like, that's the thing. It's like if people are moving further out, if more people, a lot of the population growth in these cities is going to the periphery, that's probably not translating into too many more seasons. That's not translating into too many more walk-up tickets. And that's one of the problems with the CTC being out in Canada. You lose a lot of walk-ups for it not being where transit is. Mm-hmm. And actually, the town. yeah. And actually, I want to bring this up. This is a good point because I was listening to the latest Sense Call-ups episode, and they talked about this. They were saying about because I, I can't remember who it was it either bring back Lee or somebody on Twitter posted put up a poll. He says, if you were a Senators fan, realistically, what would you rather have? Say a brand new downtown arena and Eugene Melnick owning the team, or a new owner and you're up in Canada. And you know what? A lot of people voted for the new owner and the arena in Canada. And Pan actually made a good point of this because if they put an arena downtown and the same thing I was mentioning about with the Canucks in their downtown arena, like say you live in like Richmond or Burnaby or whatever, you have to get home for work, go out to home, get the kids, come back. Exact same thing about the game. If it was downtown, right? Like you work downtown, you drive home to wherever you get the kids ready, come back, try finding a parking spot, try finding anywhere to So what you do is you park and ride. So Ottawa has mass transit now. So you park at the train station, take the train in, and have the team put on, see if the team at OC Transpo can put on a promotion. The other thing with uh, moving it from downtown to Canada is, sure, the people in Canada now have a longer commute, but the people from Orleans on the east side of the city, or Gloucester on the eastern edges of the city, it's now shorter. So you're centralizing it instead of having it way the fuck out on the west end. Yeah, but the thing about having with Ottawa and their new light rail is that it can only do, say, 600 people at once. Which is not a problem, say, if you're going to a game. But what about after a game when you got 15,000, 16,000 people leaving the arena and now you're now waiting, you're now waiting in, say, February or late January in minus 20-something weather? Like that's well, not gonna be fun. Train, you're inside. All of the all the downtown stations are underground. And sorry, except for Bayview, but Bayview's above ground and heated. 
Okay, like, you know, because you know me. I, I'm not a citizen of Nirvana. I've never lived there, so I don't know. But I, I always found that very fascinating that this poll was talking about. And when I brought this story up, that was the one thing that I thought of, was like, I'd love to get Tim's perspective on what they were talking about. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, as soon as you bring geography into an economic analysis, things get really messy. Because you're now looking at something in four dimensions. Because now you're looking at time, space, price, and quantity. It makes things very hard to work with. So it makes it for a very sticky question. And uh, like I am an urban economist by trade, so I'm used to that. <laughs> but it's the, ge the question of geography is a very big one, and uh, I don't think people have a very good answer for it yet. Okay. Now, do you but have I any... Think Sorry, Tim, my opinion on this is centralize it and work with the new mass transit system, work with park and ride. But I think you'll get a lot more people from, say, Orleans or Gloucester if you move to downtown than leaving in Canada. Especially with the fact that Ottawa has one highway. So, Tim, let's switch gears here. And we actually got to talk about a couple of trades. The Pittsburgh Penguins have traded Erica Branson to the Anaheim Ducks for Ford, Andreas Martinson, and a 2021 seventh round pick. Gabratson recorded two assists in 26 games for Pittsburgh since being traded to the Penguins from Vancouver last season. This is a salary dump for a trade that they should have seen coming. And if I remember correctly, Tanner Pearson's actually doing pretty okay in uh, Vancouver. So this is an extension of a deadline trade that just didn't really work out. But uh, the fact that they didn't take on too much and they managed to get rid of all of that four awful $4 million salary is... Kudos to that. For sure, man, for sure. And I know a lot of people on Twitter have been talking about with the injuries that Pittsburgh's having with Evgeny Malkin. And actually, Pan mentioned this, is that Pan has been saying for a while now that the Penguins, with the injuries they have at center, they could be looking at, say, a Jean-Gabriel Pajot to fill in their roster spot. Yeah, this, this takes them $4 million away from the cap. I think their big dream is to get rid of Jack Johnson. So this is a lot of Rutherford undoing needless mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because, honestly, Gabranson didn't give them anything, and they lost a pretty valuable bottom six guy in Tanner Pearson. Although Tanner Pearson's actually been doing pretty well in a bigger role in Vancouver so far. So kudos to him, but uh, yeah, this is a salary dump, and they could have been burned a lot worse. A seventh is, giving up a seventh isn't a big thing. No, sorry, they got a seventh, right? Yep. So turning Tanner Pearson into a nobody in a seventh, not great, but could have been a lot worse. That's true. So, Tim, let's close the top of the hour like we always do by talking about the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators have traded Jack Rodwell to the Florida Panthers for the rights to prospect Chris Wilkie. Rodwell recorded four penalty minutes in six games for Belleville this season. Now, I know as Senators fans, we initially saw on Twitter that a trade had been announced. And there's been some rumblings on Twitter about a player who currently isn't in the NHL and there's been rumors he's been might be coming to Ottawa. And honestly, when people are going, oh, could it be? Could, could it be the person we're thinking of? And when they saw it, the overall reaction was more of a... Yeah, so... You know what? 
I'm going to push back on that a little. I think this is a good trade by Dorian, but it also... It remedies a problem he created himself. Because this frees up a roster slot. For sure. And the rumblings that people on Sense Twitter have been talking about, and we'll definitely get your comments on this too, is that this movement is a way to have the possibility of the Senators making a move for Jesse Pugliarvi. And I actually want to talk about this because Jesse Pugliarvi is a player with the Edmonton Oilers and he's currently in the KHL and he's lighting it up right now. And one of the things that people in Ottawa have been very, very excited about is that they look at Pugliarvi in the same way that a lot of people saw Kyle Turris. They saw a guy who is a top three pick his draft team rushed him to the NHL when he wasn't ready. He didn't produce. He wants out. The team trades him to, say, Ottawa, and he blossoms. And a lot of people are looking at Pugliarvi the same way. Now, do you feel the same way, Jesse Pugliarvi, if the Ottawa Senators were to pull the trigger on a potential move? The underlying stats are there. He just needs to be given a rope. He needs to be given something to work with. The Ottawa Senators may not have that, but honestly... It's worth the gamble, especially if the asking price is a prospect in a second. We've got those in spades. May as well take. I would pull the trigger on that. Yeah, and there's been the talks that a potential move to the Oilers could be either either our second or I think it's either Dallas or whoever's other second we've got and Vitelli Abramov going to the Oilers for Pugliarvi. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I like Abramov, but I'm not... I wouldn't be surprised if Pugliarvi has the higher expected output. We just don't know that much about Abramov because we haven't seen a lot of him. That's true, and what we have seen of him, he does seem good. Like He seems to have this, some skill and some talent there, but there's always the unknown with Pugliarvi, right? Because, again, the Oilers, in the same way that the Phoenix Coyotes did with Kyle Turris, they brought him up at 18 years old. He was way too young. He was not at all ready to be in the NHL, and they expected him to produce right at the gate. And when he didn't do that, the Oilers and the Oilers fans quickly turned on him. Yeah, so like that's the thing. is That's going to be the case with any prospect. It's just going to be that band of uncertainty around them. And you know what? you got to go with it. Like I think if the chance is there, you might as well go for it. Yeah, honestly, I, I would be willing to make that move if, you know, Pugliarvi can be, say, another Kyle Turris where we get him as because he would be seen as damaged goods. We get him, we develop him, and he turned into a star for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, honestly, and I love that the Senators are really willing to take that sort of, these sort of risks. Yeah, because that was something that the Senators really were never known for, right? Outside of tourists. Like, they were always known to draft and develop their own stars. They weren't willing to go and make a move to bring a guy in and try and develop him this way. And there's obvious exceptions. Danny Heatley was the big exception, but Heatley was already a star by the time we got him. And the fact of everything that went on with him in Atlanta with Dan Schneider, that's probably where he's like, okay, I need a fresh start. Ottawa's a really great team. I'm willing to go there. Yeah. But we've had other reclam- a lot of reclamations in the past few years. Like, uh, like Philatov failed. Uh, we're going to see how what uh, Declare goes. Yeah, Duke has been actually pretty decent so far. I mean, he yeah, finally so- got some goals. So 
you know, maybe he's finally finding his way offensively with the Senators this season. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot there's a lot of reclamation projects. Like, the Sens have taken on those reclamation projects, and I like that sort of play. It's low, and they usually do it high-risk, high low-risk, sorry, low-risk, high-reward. That's the way to go. It's if, if it works out, found money. If it doesn't work out, oh well. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which means one thing. we got to move on to the games. Now, we got three games we need to talk about this evening. We've got the Sens versus the Stars, Red Wings versus the Senators, and the Islanders versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> hey Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Stars. This is a 2-1 Stars victory. Sens was scored by Vladislav Domestikov. Stars goals were scored by Radek Faska and Joe Pavelski. Shots were 43-20 for Dallas. Radek Fraska opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Dallas on a deflection in front. Joe Pavelski scores to make it 2-0 Stars after Tyler Sagan had made the initial shot. And Nemesis makes it a one-goal hockey game after Shabbat dangled around the D, but it would not be enough. Now, as usual, I had to condense watching this game because we were recording last week's episode on this night. And one thing I did want to talk about is since Twitter's reaction to this game, because the overall reaction I got, and you talked a little bit about it, I believe on last week's episode... It was not good nor entertaining. But one comment I do want to make is Steve Warren, formerly of TSN 1200, made a comment that says uh, this game was not worth watching. And I commented on the Third Line Plugs Twitter page saying, so are you saying that recording and editing a Sense Podcast episode was a better use of time? And he responded going, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so I caught the tail end of this game. And frankly, it was a very uninspired effort. Like, uh, it was just a lot of coasting and losing battles. One line that actually did look pretty decent was Nemestikov's line. And they were rewarded with a goal, but other than that... Well, I guess, like, the Kachuk-Pajot looked pretty good, too. But other than that, yeah, not too much. Excuse me, one guy that actually looked pretty good in this was Anders Nilsson. 41 saves, a .95 save percentage. He faced a lot of high-danger shots, and overall, I felt he made some pretty solid stops in this game. Oh, yeah. That game looks close on the scoreboard, but if uh, Nielsen didn't play his mind out, he got a .95% save percentage in the loss. That game would have been a lot uglier. Uh, Brady like. Tuchuk, four shots. And one thing I got a comment about Brady Tuchuk in this game is, and I'm sure you probably saw the same thing, is that Brady Tuchuk seems to be tapering his game off a little bit. And it's really weird to say that, but when you watch him, his usual game plan is crash and bang and run at everybody, get up in people's faces. And over the last several games, I'm just not seeing that out of Brady Tuchuk. And I'm not sure whether the coach is saying something to him or he personally is just not feeling it. And... The one thing that I noticed is that he was much more visual in this game than he has been in the last couple of games. Yeah, so, and the other thing you can kind of see from the shot charts is uh, he's not in his office. And I wonder if that's him working on kind of the passing game a bit, or it's a coach suggestion. Yeah, you're definitely right. He hasn't, in this game especially, he wasn't in his office. And the crash and bang kind of disappeared. It came back in a big way in uh, the Detroit game and in uh, the game we'll talk about next week in San Jose, against San Jose. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the Sens defense, for what I was seeing in the condensed game, it looked like they were applying heavy pressure in their zone early, but overall they just could not sustain that effort. I think the big thing is just they weren't getting they weren't really getting pucks out of their zone. And it wasn't a good showing for really any of the defensemen. Uh, the closest player, the closest any of them had to an okay game was Thomas Shabbat. Yeah, but Thomas Shabbat usually has a pretty good game. But the one thing that I've even noticed in the games that we're going to talk about this week and even next week is that Thomas Shabbat is one of these guys that I watch him and I see him try and do some fancy things. And either one of two things happens either he completely beats these players clean or the other, pot, or the other player just picks them off. And goes the other way. Well, that's that's young Carlson, right? That's true. I remember true. watching like Carlson in, in the Philip Cuba years, and he tried something. It either worked beautifully, or was it it was a disaster, and there was no in between. Yeah, and remember that one year, the year before he won his first Norris, he was a minus thirty, and there was talks about is Carlson really ready to be in the NHL, and should he be playing a full season in the minors? And that 2011-2012 season, that was the first year of like. Maybe they should put him in the minors, and then he scores 50-something points and win the Norse Trophy. Yeah. Well, remember that 2010-2011 team was some fucking ass. Yeah, that's true. they still had starting goalie Alex Ald at the time. And Curtis McElhinney. Well, they... Yeah, didn't they... Yeah, right. No, sorry, sorry. They started with... Uh, they started with uh, Pascal LeClaire and Brian Elliott and ended up with Andy and McElhinney. Yeah. Oh, man. Pascal LeClaire... Uh, the glass man. I'll never forget about it. Never forget about him. Uh, yeah, it's a shame because like he was a good goaltender. He just couldn't stay healthy, and I felt bad for the guy. Yeah, remember the time he was sitting on the bench and he got injured by a puck? Didn't Mike Fisher throw a dodgeball at him and he got injured? Yep. Poor guy. But it was funny how quickly the team bounced back the next year. Yeah, remember the time he sneezed and he was out two to four weeks for that? But no, it's like That's Pascal LeClaire, when health, was a fantastic goaltender. No, he wasn't too bad. He wasn't my all-time favorite Suns goalie, but no, he was decent for what we saw when he was healthy. Mm. Well, we're talking about, like, yes, like Salt, when he was healthy, we were looking at I save percentages. So, like, can't say anything too wrong about the guy. It's true. Let's talk about the next game, Tim. Red Wings versus Senators. This is a 5-2 Senators victory. Red Wings goals were scored by Darren Holm and Ta- Tyler Bertuzzi. Sens goals were scored by Anthony DeClaire with two, Chris Denary, Mark Borbieski, and Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Shots were 37-36 for Ottawa. A fairly even game overall. Both teams battled early to get their scoring opportunities with Ottawa striking first. Detroit would take a one-goal lead before Ottawa's game improved and took a two-goal lead by the end of the second period, which was capped by the empty netter to seal the victory. Now, Tim, as we were talking about last week, I feel that this is appropriate. And you want to know why? Why? Tim, we won a game for once! Oh my god, I know it feels so weird to actually talk about the Senators actually winning a game, but here we are. Let's quickly... You know what's let's even st- weirder? What? Talking about some of the players who were absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Let's start off by talking about Anders Nilsson. 34 saves, a .944 save percentage. Overall, I felt he played a really solid game versus the Red Wings. Yeah, one thing that I think really helped him in this game 
the defense actually did a pretty good job of keeping the shots at the outside. Yes, they did. And, like, the, the shot clock looked pretty close, but Ottawa's shots were way better. And, honestly, that game could have been a lot uglier if Bernier played even worse than he did. And, honestly, Bernier didn't even play that bad. No, but you know what's really funny? And I was watching that game, and my first reaction was, oh, my God, Jonathan Bernier's still in the NHL? Yeah. Really? I thought he got sent to Robita Island. I know, like, I know that, you know, he got the shit beaten out of him in Toronto, but, wow, I didn't realize he was still in the NHL. This is really surprising. The next thing that I noticed, uh, the Pajot-Brown-Paul line was fantastic. They absolutely dominated uh, Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Mantha, the biggest line for Detroit. And it wasn't even close. No. Like, uh, whenever they were on the ice, it was absolute domination for the Senators. For sure, man. Uh, let's quickly switch gears and talk about Anthony Duclair. Two goals and six shots. As I was saying earlier, Anthony Duclair is really one of these guys that I've noticed over the last couple of games that he's really starting to get his game going with the Senators. Yeah, and uh, Anthony Duclair, I have a feeling that he's going to be like... Uh, there's a lot of very good scorers in the NHL that it comes in drips and drabs, but when it rains, it pours. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Anthony Duclair is just going to be one of those guys. Yeah, because this is something that, and of course, one of them was the empty netter. But the one thing I've noticed is that he's not dogging it for effort. And that's the one thing, and even a few weeks ago I was talking about watching these games. Like, I don't expect the team to be good. I expect it to be entertaining. Anthony Duclair has definitely living up to this because I watch his game and I watch how he plays and you really see that he's a guy who's really trying. He's really trying to score. And, you know, it's finally nice to know that he is finally getting his opportunities to score because when he does, the center is a better team with him doing it. Yeah, and the other thing that I noticed about him is you can tell he's thinking through his speed more. Like, he'll look, he'll kind of, like, loop it back, and if he has his opening, he'll just go. Yeah, as we saw in last night's game versus Sounds. He's doing a better job knowing where his other players are on the ice, and that's a really good thing to see from Anthony Declare, and... He was on the right side of the shot battle all night, and he was getting awesome shots. Really, really good, in tight, and he was rewarded for awesome effort. So yeah, fantastic game for Anthony Duclair. I really liked uh, I really liked Nick Paul's game, too. Yeah, Nick Paul, I thought, played a really decent game as well, and obviously in the San Jose game, he was fantastic. Um, Thomas Shabbat, two assists. Overall, didn't play a perfect game, but I did feel he played well. And the one thing I noticed is that, and like I was saying about Shabbat earlier, is that like young Eric Carlson, when he tries to make a move, either he beats him clean or a guy picks him off. But another thing I've noticed is Shabbat, when he tries to clear out of the zone, it's either deflected by somebody and they score or he does it perfectly. And this is a game that I can't remember, I don't remember if it was the Helm or the Pertuzzi goal where he tried to clear it. And they were in front, and they scored after he just yeah. gave it right to him. And it really sucks because Zaitsev can't bail him out. And that's going to be the deficiency of that pairing is if Shabbat screws up, he's not going to get the insulation. Like when Carlson finally kind of stepped into his own, Philip Kuba was having a better year. But like the year before, Philip Kuba was awful and didn't have, and he couldn't bail out Carlson. And that's going to be one of the weak points 
that's going to be a pain point for Shabbat this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly, a couple of young guys I want to talk about. J.C. Bourdain, uh, I believe this was his first NHL game. I actually really liked how he played on that fourth line. Yeah, it was really gritty, and I think they played well. Um, you could tell that he... Actually, you know what? I'll take that back. Like, they were prob- they were getting pounded. They, like, they helped. They tried to water. Although you could tell that the coach wasn't too happy with... Uh, with them as they saw pretty reduced minutes. No, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think... Uh, I think Scott Sabrin got stapled to the match. Yeah, Sabrin did, but I think that in the last couple of days, I think uh, Bourdais just got sent back down to Belleville. Yeah. And it, actually, there was a thing this morning that uh, Shalopek also got sent back to VA this morning. Really? Yeah, him and... Oh, God, I can't remember the other guy's name now. But definitely it was Shalapic for sure. And I know in the San Jose game, I didn't think he played all that great, and he wasn't really that noticeable. But the other guy who yeah. really looked good in this game, and I can't remember who it was on Twitter, he said this is the first time he actually looks like a first-line center, is Logan Brown. Honestly, this whole weekend, Logan Brown's looked like these past three games, the one we're going to ca- cover to- next and the one we're cutting next week, Logan Brown actually looked really good. And I think Logan Brown's one of the few bright spots from the next game we're going to talk about. But uh, really poised with the puck, lot very good decision making, and I can't really see how they take him out of the lineup if he continues to play like this. And uh, this is if this is the DJ Smith we see going forward, and uh, he's willing to staple people who aren't like veterans that aren't playing well. Uh, Bobby, Bobby Ryan got the hook in this game and in the next game and ended up scratched for the San Jose game. If this is the DJ Smith we see, I don't think he'll take Logan Brown out of the lineup either. No, and honestly, and going back earlier, we are talking about uh, the potential of a Pajot trade, is that this could actually create maybe a logjam if Logan Brown really makes his, you know full-time position with this team because now you have Colin White, you'd have him, you'd have Pajot, you'd have whoever is centering the fourth line. So now it's like, okay, do you, like, what do you do now? Do you send Brown back to the A or do you move somebody like Pajot to give him that spot? Yeah, or some of the other options are, like, who can you put on waivers? Like, maybe you can get rid of uh, Bodecker for nothing because... DJ Smith obviously doesn't have the time for Mikhail Bodker. DJ Smith obviously isn't happy with Bobby Ryan if Bobby Ryan didn't play good, played pretty badly this game. And in the next two games we're trying to talk about, does Bobby Ryan get moved? Yeah. To make space. And actually, does Anisimov to the wing? Does Anisimov get moved? (laughs) That's true because Amnesioff really hasn't really been that productive for the Sens. He has his moments. Like, he has his moments where we watch him and he's like, okay. We see that he's a slight upgrade to Zach Smith, but he hasn't been able to sustain it. And actually, it's interesting you brought up Bobby Ryan because I was looking at Twitter here, and it actually came from Pan. The Pan did tweet out, if the Sens intend, if the Sens intend you buy out Bobby Ryan, the only playing forwards they have under contract next season are Dechuk, Logan Brown, Colin White, and Anisiov, who is most likely gets traded. Yeah, well, the other thing is Anisimov is injured. So... That doesn't really help his playing case, but uh, to be fair, in what little time we've seen him, 
he hasn't contributed much to the offense, but at least he's not getting caved in. Like, at least the Senators aren't caved in with him on the ice, but he also hasn't played a ton. But honestly, that could be another option. And Nismov has played wing, so he could move. you can move him to wing as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, sending out Scott Sabrin is an option. Yeah, even though Sabrin has been told to get a place because he's staying for the season with the Senators. Huh. Yeah, I, I don't really agree with that, but here we are. I don't know. Scott Sabrin, he's probably a good guy. I do like I do like that he can bring a bit of the edge to the game, but at the same time, it is frustrating that he's taking up a spot. That's true, but you can also look at the flip side of, say, Sabrin's only here for one year, that he's allowing a younger guy in the American Hockey League to develop a full season before making his debut in the NHL. Although, again, you also have... Uh, Guys like Verano scratched in the AHL. So that you're running out of space for young guys in the AHL. True. So, Tim, do you want to go on and talk about the third and final game of the evening? Yeah, yeah, let's go. Okay. Islanders versus Senators. This is a 4-2 Islanders victory. Islanders scores are scored by Nick Letty with two, Matt Martin, and former Senator Derek Rizard. Senators scores are scored by Tyler Ennis with two. Shots were 32-24 for the Ottawa Senators. Tyler Ennis scores to make it 1-0 Ottawa on a top tip-in from the Thomas Shabbat point shot. Nick Letty goes coast-to-coast to to tie the game at 1. Letty gets a second of the night on a penalty shot to make it 2-1 Islanders. Matt Martin deflects the Letty point shot to make it 3-1 Islanders. Ex-Senator Derek Broussard scores to make it 4-1 Islanders. Brady Tetrack tries to spark Ottawa with a scrap with Zydikis, which results in Tyler Ennis getting his second of the night to make it 4-2, which would be the final. So... I had to condense watches because, honestly, I didn't really get a chance to sit down and watch this game as it's been a busy couple of games, and on Friday night, I was hanging out with a couple of people I work with, so that's why I didn't get a chance to, but from what I'm seeing, I'm kind of glad I didn't because right out of the gate, Andres Nilsson and Craig Anderson, 20 saves between the both of them, all the bounces went for the Islanders in this game from what I was seeing. Yeah, and it's... It's frustrating because this is a game where the Senators gave an honest effort. As far as on the ice goes, like the Senators were just cramming the net with shots. The defense, and like they were going shot for shot with the Islanders. They gave an honest effort. They got a power play goal finally. And honestly, I don't think they looked bad. Although uh, that fourth line got stapled to the bench. And Well, by fourth line, I mean Bodane, Sabarin, and Bobby Ryan. Mm-hmm. Bobby Ryan played something awful, and he gave up a goal early, and then uh, just didn't. Re- they didn't really see much more of Bobby Ryan. Bobby Ryan. He only played eight minutes. The Paul line looked really good again. It looks to be building some good chemistry, and they they matched up well with the Barzell line. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually they controlled the ice pretty well against the Barzell line. So I can see this combination continuing to go forward. Now, the other thing that is a bit bizarre is I think the New York Islanders, if I'm not mistaken, they went with the old Guy Boucher special. 1-3-1? One, one. No, the other one. Rest is a weapon? The other one. Uh, oh, 11-7? Yep. And I guess it worked out for them. 
Although, uh, their seventh defenseman didn't play a ton of time, and Gunakel played, like, minutes. I, if you're going to have a guy on for, like, minutes of ice, sorry, three minutes, don't want to sharp change the man. What? You need more forwards, because just, no kidding, ten forwards, that's just going to tucker your three lines out. That's true. Look at the Ottawa Senators over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, no kidding. I like Shabbat's game, but, uh, yeah, just bounces weren't going Ottawa's way. Yeah. Uh, let's quickly switch gears here. Let's talk about Tyler Ennis. Two goals on three shots. I really liked when I was watching on the condensed version, he was in the right spot to put the puck home, especially on that second one where he got a beauty one-timer off in the slot. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of people are like, why is Tyler Ennis even here? Because previously he hadn't been playing great. But uh, this is why they have him, to kind of score those role-player type goals. And he still has the hands. But you can definitely see why he never stuck around as a full-time player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to expect out of uh, Tyler Ennis, but you know what? If it's good shooting and more offensive pressure with him on the ice than off the ice, I'll take it. His defense hasn't been all there this season, but whatever. Yeah, and honestly, uh, if he can get a few, get 10, 10 15 goals by the trade deadline, Maybe they turn him into a fourth. Yeah, and honestly, that would be perfect, and we can get all the draft picks that we need in 2020. Mm-hmm. So I only got two more comments to make. Obviously, and I mentioned this in the recap, Brady Chuck had his fight with Ziyakis, uh, trying to spark the team. And this is something that I really appreciate about Brady Chuck. and I'll say this about Scott Sabrin during the Vegas game, is that they both saw that their team was down, then they needed a spark, so they will go after somebody, and I've been pumping for a long time. I think Brady should be the captain. And this is another reason why, because he's willing to put his body through punishment to try and spark his team. Yeah, and I think the nice thing about Brady Kachuk is he, like, he goes into the deep areas and he just fights. He fights it really hard. And I think Brady Kachuk actually had, even on, even without the fight, I think he made a really good game. And it was nice that he didn't totally tube the team and Ennis was at least able to make the game look a bit closer. But you know what? I can't even argue about this sort of outcome. The team played really well. You, you could argue they deserve better, but at the end of the day, we got those valuable no points. It's true. Now, the one final comment I do got to make on this before we can wrap her up. This game was a 90s night for the Ottawa Senators, and the only comment I have to make about that is I don't know which team dropped the ball harder. Ottawa not bringing back their 2D jerseys, or the New York Islanders not bringing back their... 1995 beautiful fisherman jerseys for this game. Yeah. Honestly, I couldn't even have told you that was a 90s night. Yeah, they totally dropped the ball in this. And I think um, uh, Craig McDaglia on Twitter, I know he and his team put some stuff together for their 90s night. Um, uh, one of them was Saved by the Sens, which I actually had a good chuckle about that. I think it was like Colin White and... Brady to Chuck, but yeah, this is the one thing that they could have really capitalized on a great opportunity for the 90s night, because you have two jerseys from the 1990s with both these teams that one, the fans really love, and the other is the 2D Sense jersey. No, I'm just kidding. The other one is actually the Fisherman Islanders jersey, which a lot of Islander fans don't really seem to like, but there is that small portion of them that are like, it's actually okay. Yeah, and you know what? It's fun. It's not like it's that awful St. Louis jersey. Oh my god, the fucking trumpet one. Yeah, yeah, but no, I think we've 
yeah, it's just I didn't know it was nineties night, and I couldn't have told from the highlights. Uh, but it's it is what it is. Yeah. Well, even if the Islanders, and I know the only, I, the, well, this is the thing, they I only used those fisherman it. jerseys like two seasons before they went back to that jersey style that had the Islanders logo in it. And actually, I don't think that's not a bad look. It's a very dated looking jersey when you really look at it today. But you know, it's kind of an it's a unique, it's an interesting looking jersey before the Islanders went back to their like striped, striped line jerseys. Yeah. Although to be a hundred percent fair. We probably are asking too much for nine to make an entire team's worth of jerseys for one night. Well, come on, man. Like, fucking other teams would have done this. Look at the Canucks. They're having all these weeks where they're bringing back, you know, the, the Flying yeah, V and all those jerseys. Merch. Dude, you could put those teams in the team store. The fans would totally buy them. The fans don't even go to the game. Tim, quit trying to make some valid points here, buddy, okay? Just, like, let me have this moment where putting in the team store, put it on their website. The fans want those 2D jerseys, and people on Twitter love them. True. But at the same time, 9,000 attendance. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments if you want to wrap her up and head into the close for another evening. Yeah, honestly, our 100th episode spectacular has been a hell of a lot of fun. I know. Just wait till our 136th episode spectacular happens. Oh, it's going to be a beauty, buddy. Yeah, it's sad that we can't get Phil Hartman for it, though. I know. Rest in peace. Well, guys, first of all, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at m 9 Badger and at GreatWhiteGipster, gr 8 W-Y-T-E, Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about some of the games, top of the hour, or the fact that we just celebrated our 100th episode, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsenscast at gmail.com. So, Tim, we only got two games on the schedule for next week because we are in our bye week. We've got the game last week versus Eric Carlson and the San Jose Sharks, and Saturday we are in Boston to play the Boston Bruins. What are you going to do with your time, Tim? You know what I'm going to do with my time off? I'm actually going to sit back, relax, and finally really sit down and put some hours into Red Dead Redemption 2. Because I really haven't got a chance to do that because I've been so busy over the summer with work and then the podcast happened and everything that we've been doing. I just haven't got a chance to really sit down and fully emerge myself in the game. I haven't even bought it. Pretty good, Actually, honestly. I like it. Because uh, it was Chelsea's birthday over the weekend, and I was gonna buy her the Outer Worlds, the new game by the people who made Fallout New Vegas. Oh yeah. And we usually buy on PC, but the only people who are selling it for PC right now it's uh, an exclusive with the Epic Store. I'm like, oh, fuck that. So uh, this is the on-air apology, uh, Chelsea. I'm sorry that your birthday gift is postponed because Tim dislikes the company that sells it. And also, happy belated birthday, Chelsea. Yay. Until next week, guys. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. And this is me.